0: And this morning, as we gather, as you came in and you see Christmas uh, decorations, and maybe this week, as you went different places, you're listening to the radio. uh, Christmas is now in full swing. And for many, it's a story. But as we look at uh, the book of Luke, it's not a story. It's actually a historical account. And as we began the book of Luke uh, this last year, we began to set out to see what uh, Luke recorded for us. And that is to have a factual, actual historical count of the birth, the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have uh, the word of God, which I'm thankful for. This morning, as we look at this, this is an account um, that is uh, not like a story in the sense where a story we read about characters. Uh, Luke uh, gives us an account of the characters of Mary, of Joseph, of the shepherds, of the angels, of the magi, which came uh, later on and of Jesus Christ born in the manger The account, because it's uh, not a story, it does not end. It does not end at the manger. It does not end at the cross. It does not end at the empty tomb, because as we will read, Jesus Christ is the eternal king who has always existed and who always will exist. And for all who are in Christ, his people will be with him for all eternity. Therefore. This morning, as we look at Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 38, the big idea is this. Put your hope in God for nothing is impossible for him. Would you look with me at Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 26? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We've just read the word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning, reading your word and asking that you would give us understanding. Thank you that you have given us your word to read. That is not a story, but it's a historical count of what has happened and what will be to come. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for taking upon mankind that you would become flesh, that you would give yourself for us. Jesus, we praise you and give you thanks. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings, O favored one. That's the statement that the angel says to Mary in the first verses there in 26 through 30. Think of if an angel appeared to you and spoke something to you today, how would you respond? When you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, when an angel appears to a person, you see them falling on their face. There is fear that happens. And with this, uh, you wonder Mary's response. It doesn't give us an indication of fear, but you do see that she asks a question in the midst of the angel that comes. It says in the sixth month, and we wonder, well, why does it say the sixth month? If you have not read previously the verses, the angel Gabriel has come also to one of uh, Mary's relatives to Zachariah and has said, your wife, Elizabeth, who's barren and who is old, will have a child. That this is a work of God, a miracle of God. And so Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy when the angel Gabriel now is sent to Mary. If you read in chapter one, verse 19, uh, the angel Gabriel comes and is sent by God from the presence of God with the great responsibility of being a herald of God's message. And so Gabriel has come from the throne room of God to speak to Mary and to give her this wonderful message. The city of Nazareth. It's a little village. It's not even a city. It's a simple place. It's a humble place. This is where Mary is residing when the angel Gabriel comes to her. And it says in verse two or verse twenty-seven, <clears throat> two key things here. Look with me. It says to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Number one, the word of God tells us that Mary is a virgin. She has not been sexually involved with any man, especially with Joseph. Number two, it says that she is betrothed to him. She is engaged. And in the uh, Jewish marriage process, she is in the first stage or the step one with Joseph, in which there's been some type of formal witnessed agreement between Joseph and her father and a price that you pay that he wants to marry her. And so this agreement has entered in. Uh, It's a little bit different than maybe today when we say someone's engaged. You just ask them to marry you and uh, you're engaged. The second step, though, with the Jewish marriage wedding process Is that maybe a year? It could be even longer. There's a point at which the uh, husband to be comes to get his bride and take her to his home, which he has prepared. And this marriage is sealed. But you have to ask the question when you read about Mary and you read about Joseph in these accounts in Matthew and in Luke, who really were they? Because you look at major scenes, you look at culture today, how they've tried to uh, tell us who Mary and Joseph is. I don't know about you, but every picture or every video always has Joseph looking like an older guy. He's got a big old full beard and Mary's not super young. But yet culturally, she could have been as young as 12, maybe 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 We don't know how old Joseph would be. I mean, imagine junior hires, married, high schoolers, married. And not only married, but she is carrying the son of God. I mean, think of that when you think of what this angel is declaring to Mary. And then the interaction you read in Matthew chapter 1 of Joseph hearing from the angel after he already finds out that his wife-to-be is pregnant. It also tells us, if you read in Luke chapter two, verse 24, they go to the temple after Jesus is born and the sacrifice they take are turtle doves or young pigeons. And that is the offering that's in the Old Testament describing someone who's poor. So a very young possible couple that's poor, having this child, the son of God. Traveling to and fro in these places. This is a, a picture when we look at who Gabriel is going to, Mary. And he says, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Why would God say to Mary through the angel Gabriel, O favored one? Is there anything in Mary that she did or the way that she was born that would make make or cause or lead God to just say, oh, you're going to I'm going to put my favor upon you. I'm going to pour my grace upon you. The answer is no. There's nothing in Mary that God would just that would make him say, oh, because she's this way, she has to be favored. No. Despite what some people would think, Mary was a sinner. You go What? Mary, the favorite one, she was a sinner. Those of you who have a Roman Catholic background be like, well, that's hard to say. But that's the truth of God's word that all mankind, except for Jesus Christ, who took on humanity, all mankind are born in sin because of the sin of Adam back in the garden. Genesis chapter three. And therefore, on down the line, every single man and woman born into this world has inherited sin. Mary as well. But wait, Gabriel says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What a wonderful statement. I would hope that we would want that statement upon us. O favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary was troubled by this saying. If you look at verse 19, it says she was greatly troubled. Trying to discern what this greeting was. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? The angel is showing up. The glory of God in this angel. I mean, what should I be doing at this moment? But it says she's greatly troubled by this statement. I don't know if there's some fear there. Or there's this concern. Or why am I favored? What do you mean by this? And he says, don't be afraid. Let's us understand that she was fearful. Don't be afraid, Mary. Mary, you have found favor with God and God found favor with Mary because it pleased him to do so. He decided that he was going to pour out his grace, that he was going to put his favor upon Mary because he simply chose to do so. And it brings him glory for him doing that. And I would say that you don't move quickly from this Verse this week that you would reflect on God's words to the angel Gabriel. Mary, you found favor with God because it's a wonderful picture. It's a wonderful illustration of God finding favor on his people. There's nothing in you. There's nothing in me. There's nothing in anyone who has ever lived and walked this earth apart from Jesus Christ. That has been one without sin. And if we read the word of God, it's clear that because we're sinners, then we all should receive the penalty for sin and breaking God's law, which is what? Any guesses? Death. And with death, eternity and hell separated from God. That's what all of us deserve. And so we should relish this illustration of God's favor upon Mary, because she did nothing to receive the favor of God. You do nothing to receive the favor of God. Simply this favor, the same word used for grace is simply what it is. God pouring out his favor on people who do not deserve it for nothing that they ever did, because it pleases him to do so. If you're a follower of Christ today, that should stir your heart. That should warm your heart. That should remind you of the hope that you have in Christ, because God has had favor upon you and he's pardoned you through the work of his son and nothing that you ever had to do or have done. But simply he's poured out his grace on you. Well, Mary asks a great question. She says, how will this be? Look at verses 31 through 37. You might think the first question would be, why? Why me? But instead she says, how will this be? Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. Circle that, highlight that, underline that, print it, put it down somewhere. It's a key verse. It's an important verse. It's a verse that you should hold dear to, especially during this time of celebrating the first advent of Christ. the uh, Christmas time is that it says, Mary, you're going to have a child and you're going to name him Jesus. Now people in that time in the nation of Israel would name some of their sons Jesus. Admit Jehovah's salvation. They would Would name them Jesus to point to the hope that they had in God, that he promised a Messiah would come, that salvation for God's people would come. And so here the name Jesus is important. And the angel says, with this child, you're going to have a child, number one. And this child that you're going to have is going to be named Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. So let's take a moment here and look at these verses in 31 through 37. It is so important that you read Scripture, that you look to Scripture and see what Scripture tells us about this child to be born in this manger that we celebrate at this time. The first thing it tells us is that this child is the Messiah that was prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before the birth of Christ. Turn to Isaiah chapter 7. There are new, numerous passages of scripture in the book of Isaiah, which prophesy of the birth of Christ, that tell us and prophesy of the life of Christ, that prophesy and tell us of the death of Christ and the resurrection. And Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, tells us this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, the nation of Israel knew these prophecies. They held to these prophecies. It was understood that the Messiah would come. There would be this virgin birth. And the name of this child would not be just Jesus, as we read the angel Gabriel telling Mary, but that his name would be Emmanuel, which means God With us to think about the nation of Israel, as they would go to the tabernacle, as they would go to the temple, that God was with them, but he was still distant. He was in the Holy of Holies that they could not enter into. But this picture of Emmanuel, God with us, is the picture that God would dwell in the life, in the hearts of his own people. The nation of Israel held to these prophecies, whether they understood them or not. And here you jump ahead 700 years to Luke chapter 1 and the account of Gabriel to Mary and says, Hey, you're going to bear a son. And Mary's like, Okay, I understand that you cannot, as a virgin, have a child unless there's sexual intercourse. It doesn't happen. You read in the Old Testament, women who were barren, that God did a miracle and they uh, had a child as God had promised or done a work. Same thing with the sign here with Elizabeth. God did a miraculous work, but they were not virgins. Here you have fulfillment of prophecy, which is so important when we look to the birth of Christ in the Gospel of Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter one. Again, Joseph, in, in Matthew's account, there's a point at which he realizes that Mary's pregnant. He was going to divorce her quietly. And the angel Gabriel shows up again, this time in a dream to Joseph. And it says in verse 21, and she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. <clears throat> Again, the second thing that we see from God's word describing Jesus is that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Look at verse 32. We have a few descriptions here of who this child is to be. Verse 32 says he will be great and we be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him. The throne of his father, David. The third thing that scripture teaches us about this child, Jesus, to be born is that he will be great. You need to read Isaiah chapter 52 and Isaiah chapter 53, which describes that the Messiah to come would be great and he would be mighty and he would be exalted. But it also speaks of his humiliation and his death on the cross and his burial and his resurrection. But this child will be great. There in verse 32, it tells us that this child, the fourth thing is that Jesus is called son of the most high. Jesus, therefore, is the son of God, making him God. Jesus Christ is Lord. In Luke chapter two, do you remember the part of the Christmas account when the angels woke up the shepherds in the field that night? Remember that part? The angels come and they speak to the shepherds. Well, they say this in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So just like in Matthew chapter one, it says that Jesus is the one who will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us here, it says that he will be great and called son of the most high God because he is Jesus Christ, the Lord. The fifth thing we see here from Scripture about this child is that Jesus is born of the line of King David. If you go back to verse 27, it says that she's betrothed. She's engaged to a man whose name is Joseph of the house of David. Here again in verse 32, it says "And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. You may just pass over that if you've not read Scripture It's important to take note. Second Samuel chapter seven. God made a covenant with King David, the greatest king of Israel. And he said, you're going to have a child. There's going to be someone from your line who will sit on the throne forever, pointing to Jesus Christ. If you read Matthew chapter one, you see that Joseph who marries Mary is of the line of King David, and therefore he adopts Jesus, his son, legally, and therefore a part of the line of King David. People, you can't make this story up. It's a historical account. It's God's word, which was prophesied. It's God's plan, as we saw last week from before he ever said, let there be light. And he fulfills every promise. He holds every covenant showing that God is faithful. And therefore, when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the grace of God in his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the fulfillment of this prophecy Help us understand that God's word is sure it is steadfast, it is truthful, and therefore in this world today, the world attacks it. And tries to destroy it and tear it apart and say, these things are just fables. They are just myths. These things are not possible. If you go back a number of years, we begin to see Christian seminaries in which liberal theology is challenging people who are going into the ministry to preach the word of God to say, you know what? Was the virgin birth really true or not? And that's what our world does when people do not hold to the word of God as truth. It tells us in verse 33, it says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. The sixth description about this child is that this child is a king. He is the king who will rule and reign forever. That Jesus Emmanuel, he has a kingdom that never ends in which he will rule and reign over for eternity and for his people that will be with him in that kingdom forever. And so I ask you this, as you read the word of God, do you know the truth about eternity? Do you know the truth about what happens to your soul when you die on this earth? That your soul will either Be in the kingdom of God with Jesus forever or your soul will be outside of the kingdom of God, cast into the place of hell that was created for Satan and the demons that will be tormented forever, day and night for eternity. Do you know the truth? Because that is what the truth of God tells us. Therefore, we make the truth of God, the word of God, what we spend our focus on every time that we gather As God's people, do you have a high view of Jesus? Do you see Jesus as a Son of God, that He is God? Do you see that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords? Do you see that Jesus is the only one, the only King who can save anyone from their sins and make them His own? You have to answer those questions. I could preach all day. I could preach every day to you. But it comes down to the Holy Spirit stirring your heart and opening your eyes to the truth of God and you believing. Not one person can say anything, preach anything, declare the gospel in any way that's going to convince you or cause you to believe in any of this. It comes down to a work of God, just like with Mary, oh, favored one. That God would have his grace and pour his grace upon you and you would believe in him. Well, Mary asked the question there in verse 34. She says to Gabriel, how will this be? Because I'm a virgin. There's no way that this happens. Yeah, I want to have a baby someday. We get married this. But how is this to happen? Because this is impossible well, he answers and he says, the Holy Spirit, the power of God Almighty, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You have this description of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, specifically in the New Testament. When you talks about the when the Word of God writes about the Holy Spirit power, it uses this word many times, this word dunamis, which we get the word dynamite from the dynamite power of God that raised Christ from death to life is the same power, that same Gives us the same power that in which Mary, a virgin, was able to conceive Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Verse 35 And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Gabriel basically says to her to answer is like, It's a miracle of God. That's what's going to happen. That's how you're going to conceive. That's how you're going to have a child. The Holy Spirit will do this. And God is able, because if you go all the way back to Genesis, God said, let there be light. Let the mountains rise. Let there be the waters upon the earth. Give life to birds and animals and and to blow into the dust of the earth and create Adam and to take a rib from Adam and create Eve. God does the impossible. Amen. Do you believe it? Do I need to yell any louder? It's the word of God. It's the truth of God. And the reason we draw our focus here is because our world would have you believe that Christianity is okay without the virgin birth. That you could take a, a picture of a guy named Rob Bell who used to. Uh, don't ever read Rob Bell's books. Don't ever listen to Rob Bell's stuff because he is a heretic and he has taught that basically Christianity is a brick wall and you have all these truths about God. And yet there's this one. Here's one here that you can take out and still have Christianity. He says you can take the virgin birth out and still have Christianity. If that is the case, you don't have Christianity. And the word of God is a lie. You must have the virgin birth to have Christianity. Christianity. Because the reason being is if Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin birth, then he would have been born a sinner inheriting sin from Adam. And therefore, he could never go to the cross and die in your place for your sins because he would be a sinner. But do you see, it says the holy one of God, that he shall be called holy because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. He does not inherit the sin from Adam that was sent down. And therefore, as he takes on human flesh, as John chapter one teaches us, he does not inherit that sin. Verse 35, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Therefore, the last thing with this is that the child Jesus is without sin. Gabriel goes on to say, you know what? Let me give you a sign of God working. Your relative Elizabeth is old, barren. She's already six months pregnant because God did something that other people thought was impossible. And so he says this in verse 37 for nothing will be impossible with God. If you go back and read in the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament in chapter 32, twice we have scripture which speaks about God being able to do anything that nothing is impossible for him. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And it goes on in verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And many people, when they read these verses and they're skeptical, they ask the stupid, ridiculous question. Well, if God could do, uh, you know, could he could he build a rock so big that he couldn't move? And all these other questions that go with it. And all it is, is man and their ideas trying to disprove the word of God. Here's the thing. God never sins. God, it never fails. And so his word is true. So God is not going to do anything that would negate who he is or his truth or he's not God. So forget about the silly questions and go to the word and see what the prophet said and see what was fulfilled. And pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, because I personally believe that all things are possible with God because his word says so. I believe that God created the universe. It's six literal days and spoke that. Yet some people think I'm ridiculous for believing that because the word of God says so. I believe that Jesus Christ, the son of God, came to earth by a virgin birth, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because the word of God says so. I believe that because of that, Jesus Christ lived without sin. He never sinned. And therefore he went to the cross without sin because the word of God says so. I believe that at the cross, Jesus Christ became sin, that he took our sins, that he died in our place for our sins, that God, the father punished the son because the word of God says so. I believe that. God the Father did the impossible by raising Jesus Christ from death to life because the word of God says so. And I believe that he's returning. I believe that he's coming back because he's promised and it says in the word of God and I believe the word of God. And I also believe that if God desired to do so that he could save 74,000 plus people. In this city of Missoula. All for his glory. The things that some of us would think are impossible. For nothing is is impossible with God. Look at the last verse. The third thing is, I'm a servant of the Lord. Briefly, she says, Mary says, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Just a moment to think, how should you view Mary? Um, some of you have a background that uh, holds Mary so high that says that she's above all the other saints, that she's a mediator with Jesus and that you can pray to her and she'll answer your prayers. That's not scripture. That's man's inventions. And so some of you have come from that background and come to a right understanding of Mary. And you are familiar with these verses. and You're like, hey, I used to pray those things. <clears throat> The right view is this Mary was favored by God, but she was also a sinner. She and Joseph had other children that were brothers and sisters to Jesus. Mary cannot answer your prayers. Mary is not God. She can't even hear your prayers. And some people think that people that die, that they can hear our prayers. They can't. God hears our prayers. Mary's not your mediator. Jesus Christ is. Did you know that Mary was among the early church as we read in the book of Acts chapter one? She was praying to Jesus. She was worshiping Jesus. Mary needed Jesus to save her from her sins. And so what we learn from Mary is this. She's a great example, a wonderful example Of one who heard the word of God and believed it. She's a great example of how to respond to the word of God and receiving God's grace. She was obedient. She was willing. And she's a great example of responding to God's call. And it's something that we should do is believe in God. And then we should obey him because we love him. So as we look to the birth of Christ. Christ. We look to Mary's example and we pray and ask, God, would you make us humble servants who are obedient to you? And would you remind us of the hope that we placed in you? So, this morning, as we look at this text, be reminded that we are to put our hope in God, for nothing is impossible with him. As the worship team comes forward and as we prepare to take bre- the bread and, and cup this morning, if you have been here in this room this morning or you're at home watching online and you've heard the word of God, the Gospels has been declared to you. And if you're believing it today for the first time, that's the grace of God upon your life. Believe in Christ, that he is Lord and that he is the only one that can save you from your sins and that he did die on the cross and he rose again and that he is returning. Preparing a place for you to be with him for all eternity. Acts chapter 11 verse Acts chapter 4 verse 11 says this. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you. The builders which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no one other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, we pray to you. We thank you. That you would give up your life for us. That you would humble yourself. That you would live in this troubled, sinful world. As the Holy One who never sinned. We thank you that you would go to the cross for us. That you would die in our place. Father, we thank you that you have raised the Son from death to life. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you... Open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our ears to the truth of the word of God.